You're listening to The Good GP, the podcast for busy GPs. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Good GP. This is Christina Delange and today I am bringing you another special COVID-19 episode, today focusing on the impacts of COVID-19 on pregnancy. Now, as a lot of you will be aware by now, this is part of our special series that we're running in conjunction with the Just a GP podcast team to help ensure GPs around Australia are getting relevant and up-to-date information on the evolving COVID-19 situation. This podcast is being recorded on the 20th of March 2020 and all information presented in this podcast is up to date as of this date but we do always encourage our listeners to continue to check the latest guidelines around this issue and please know that we will be endeavouring to update any podcasts if and when new information comes to light. So moving along to the actual substance of today's podcast I would like to introduce our guest today Dr Robin Aldridge. Welcome Robin and thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Now, Robin, you are an obstetrician and gynaecologist based in Brisbane um, with Eve Health and also Queensland Fertility Group, and you guide countless women through their pregnancy journey. So I really appreciate the fact you've given up some time to discuss what is a really important topic for GPs. We are often involved in uh, the care of pregnant women, you know, through shared care programs, and are actually often the first port of call for non-pregnancy-related issues in pregnancy. So it's a really fantastic opportunity to update the GPs out there and ensure we are equipped with up-to-date knowledge and really the right advice to be able to share with our patients. So I wanted to start off by looking at the impacts of COVID-19 on this population, and I guess specifically thinking about three different factors. So First one is the impact on the pregnant woman herself, and then secondly, the impact on the pregnancy, and then thirdly, the impact on the unborn child. So what can you tell us about, um, you know, the advice and think how we might be answering women's questions in this time? Yeah, it's a good question. What we know about COVID-19 is obviously based on a very small number of women so far. So it's probably less than 20 women um, who have been reported to have been pregnant in China during their initial outbreak. So we are dealing with really small numbers. But what we've observed so far is that women who are pregnant and get COVID-19 don't seem to be any worse affected than a non-pregnant woman, which is really great news for our pregnant women here in Australia. We are seeing mothers who might be asymptomatic, uh, so they have no symptoms, um, but the majority are are usually those that have got a mild or a moderate flu-like illness. Occasionally, there's been reports of diarrhoea and vomiting as well for our pregnant women. Probably the most important symptoms that we see are cough and uh, fever with shortness of breath. We worry when anyone starts to develop shortness of breath and whether pneumonia might be developing for those women. Obviously, in the in the context of pregnancy, where they're already having those physiological changes that adapt them for the pregnancy, pneumonia and decreased oxygen levels could be a problem for the pregnant cohort. The other women that we worry about are those that are pregnant and also unwell in some other way. So type 1 diabetes would be one of the things that we would worry about for a woman who presents with COVID-19 type symptom. As you know, those physiological changes happen really early in pregnancy and we're already changing lung function, increased cardiac output and women have increased oxygen consumption in that, even in that really early first few weeks of pregnancy. So we are concerned about how they might deal with COVID-19, 
but it seems that they deal with it just like their non-pregnant counterparts. Regarding the effects on the fetus, uh, well, it's good news here as well. So we're not seeing any increased risk of miscarriage. There's no increased risk of early pregnancy loss. And that's actually similar to what we saw in other coronaviruses, so the MERS and the SARS. The other thing that we're noticing is that we don't think that the virus can pass from the mother to the fetus during pregnancy. So the baby seems like it's quite uh, insulated in its little bubble there. And we know this from testing samples from around the baby. So we've had, again, in China, there was uh, testing from amniotic fluid, cord blood and throat swabs from the neonate, all of which were negative. There have been two reports where there was early neonatal disease. But they were unclear as to whether that was an intrauterine infection or passed from mother to baby immediately postnatal. The other thing that uh, we worry about when mums get sick, preterm birth. And, and there have been some preterm births reported with the COVID-19 affected women. Again, this is a hard one to know without all of the details. Potentially, it was a medical practitioner-induced preterm birth. And we don't know whether that they truly needed delivery or whether it was, you know, those poor doctors dealing with the unknown and opting for an earlier delivery. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess overall, it sounds like fairly reassuring um, for the majority of low risk pregnant women that they wouldn't expect any worse course of COVID-19 than what anybody else within, you know, the similar age and similar comorbidities could expect. And I guess For GPs, though, really taking special note of those that might be reporting some of the more severe symptoms due to, you know, what we know as the physiological effects of pregnancy and also considering those women that do have known comorbidities underlying respiratory illnesses or or diabetes, like you mentioned, you know, to be a little bit more alert with those patients and in terms of the advice that we're giving them. So that's really helpful. I guess for you, um, talking to women every day that are pregnant and don't have COVID-19, but actually that might be worried about the effect and might be worried about getting COVID-19. I'm interested to know, are you recommending any sort of changes in their daily activities, you know, in terms of their work or travel? What what are you generally recommending? I find this a really hard one because everyone's worried. I've even taken to asking my pregnant women, are you anxious related specifically to COVID-19? There's a lot of information out there and, and I think women are struggling with knowing what's good information what's versus what's not. I tend to fall back on the government policies and and work with those so that I'm recommending things that are evidence-based. I guess the things that I'm suggesting to my women are your standard things, so your social distancing, washing your hands, pointing out that soap and water it can be as good as your alcohol-based hand rub as well. Thinking about how often they're touching their face and avoiding close personal contact with people outside of the home. Obviously, it's hard for the women who I see who are often mums already, and so they've got little little people in their lives who are touching everything in daycare, and that's that's a really hard one to manage, I think, from a practical point of view. I've also started suggesting to them that they avoid group activities, rightly or wrongly. You know, they might need to now avoid gym uh, where there are lots of people and other group activities, but we don't know what the magic number is for that um, for that group contact. I've been saying to them, avoid people who are sick, but not forgetting about those lifestyle factors as well. So eat well, 
exercise where you can and if you can outdoors try and get some good sleep and actually think about anxiety management and prevention I've been in terms of their work arrangements I've suggested if they can work from home and I've I've seen that a lot of bosses have been really quite supportive of that and in some instances have offered work from home arrangements to be prioritised for the pregnant women and the officers, avoiding public transport where they can. In terms of our antenatal appointments, we're making quite a few changes. Where I work at Eve Health, we are trying to spread out how they sit in the waiting room. Obviously, if they've been unwell, we're asking them to stay at home and rearrange their appointments. We're also looking at changing the frequency of visits and the length of visits as well. So you'll know that they've talked about a 15-minute face-to-face, so we're really trying to limit our antenatal visits and use the social distancing at the same time. The only other change that we've made is when we take a blood pressure. So rather than standing, doing a manual blood pressure, which is what we'd standardly do for the pregnant population, Um, when you stand to their side and often end up chatting to each other while you're taking it. I've now been asking them to take their own blood pressure with an automatic machine that's situated in the corner of the room where they're sitting. So those are the sort of changes that we're doing. As I said, some of them are evidence-based, some seem like they're good practice points, I guess, but those are the sort of things that we're considering. Yeah, that's all fantastic advice and things that I think the GPs out there can uh, take on board as well. So what about in the situation that a woman, a pregnant woman does actually contract COVID-19 in the pregnancy, is there anything different in terms of how she should be managed? I mean, at the moment, for the most part, if all patients with confirmed cases are being managed in hospital, but as you know, the hospital system gets squeezed and cases do increase, that's not necessarily going to be an option. Have you got any advice around what should be happening at that point of diagnosis? It really comes down to how sick is the woman. And as you say, once the hospitals have that squeeze on them, we might be seeing more women who are pregnant and have COVID positive nasal swabs in the community. It probably comes down mostly to respiratory symptoms and monitoring for those. And then if the mother is particularly sick, then extra fetal monitoring as well. The other thing not to lose sight of is we're also entering into the flu season. We've seen uh, multiple RSV cases already. And so until we've got the positive COVID-19 result, we also need to assume that they've got flu. So not being blinded towards flu and we're still reminding our women to get their flu vaccination as well. Yeah, that's a really important point. A question that I've been um, hearing a little bit about is women who don't yet have COVID-19, but they are worried about it and they're potentially coming up towards the end of the pregnancy and they're worried about what happens if they've got COVID-19 and they go into labour. So can you tell me what advice we can be giving to these women? Is it actually going to impact on the mode of delivery? You know, I've had women worried that they're not, the baby's going to be taken away from them straight away. Could you give any sort of thoughts about that? Yeah, sure. So I guess thinking about those women who've got a planned uh, labour induction or a planned seizure. So if they were sick at the time with confirmed COVID-19, there's a potential that we might look at changing that date, pushing it back so that they can get a bit more well and limit the spread both to health workers and their baby. But putting those women to one side, you know, some of the things that they could expect if they were thought to be infected would be uh, the location of 
of care might be changed. So rather than a standard birth suite room, they might be in a negative pressure ventilated room if there's one available. I think some of the other changes that women might see that uh, the staff are dressed in personal protective uh, equipment. And I think actually when they come in for labour, it's such a such a stressful time. And, and I think if women are prepared to see their caregivers dressed up looking fairly ridiculous, it would be helpful for them to already start visualising that and, and working out what might be different for them. Interestingly, moments before we got on to doing this podcast, um, I saw that the Martyr had sent out some up-to-date information about how they're managing their women coming in for labour. Um, and they've suggested that for safety, they're asking that they're only having one person for a support person in the labour room. And that's that's a really important change because we've always been really inclusive. You know, you can have your partner, you might have your sister or your mum or some other family or friend who you think will get support or who will support you in your labour. So that's a really important change for us. Um, and they've also recommended that there's no substitution so you don't have your partner supporting you and then he swaps out for your mum. So that that will be quite a big change for, for women. If the pregnant woman is suspected of having COVID-19, her partner will also be asked to wear uh, a face mask because it's assumed if they're close household contacts, they potentially also have it. Uh, and if they're overtly unwell, they'll be asked not to attend as well. The only other big change for women who are uh, labouring in birth suite is continuous fetal monitoring of baby is recommended. So on a, on a small sample, again, those women out of China, there seem to be an increased risk of fetal distress in the labour. So this would be an indication for a continuous CTG. Behind the scenes, obviously, we need to get our whole team involved as well. So we'll have the anaesthetists and neonatal staff on standby as well if somebody came in who was thought to be infected with COVID. There are a few changes in terms of having a Caesar. I think at this stage, we're not entirely sure how that's going to look for women, but trying to get fewer staff in the theatre with them and those staff probably being in protective gear, they're within that sort of close range of the patient. Excellent. And in in terms of the postpartum period, in terms of still being able to breastfeed and have that skin to skin, have you guys released any sort of information about that at all? Yeah, we have. And actually, as you asked me that, I realised I hadn't answered probably the most important part of your previous question was, will it impact on the mode of delivery? And no, it shouldn't impact on the mode of delivery. So if a woman's planned for a Caesar, she, she can still go ahead with her Caesar. But if she's planning for a vaginal birth, there's, there's no other reason related to COVID why they ought to need to have a caesarean delivery. But regarding postnatal, I've also been asked, as you said, about women being separated from their babies, and there's no evidence regarding that. So here in Australia, we're still encouraging that first skin to skin, which is so important, and breastfeeding is still thought to out, the benefits outweigh the risks. Interestingly, there's been no breast milk contaminated with COVID-19, so the transmission doesn't seem to be through breast milk. But of course, that close contact while they're breastfeeding, potentially if a mum was infected, she could pass it on to her baby at that stage. We could ask our breastfeeding mums to consider wearing a mask while they're feeding. Obviously, the 
of this recommendation to not cough or sneeze over their baby uh, and lots of hand washing before they start feeding as well. But no, we're definitely keeping mums and bubs together, skin to skin and breastfeeding as usual. We um, also need to think about grandparents as well. So recommendations around visitors in the postnatal wards probably aim to keep the older parents or grandparents at home and keep them out of the hospital environment. Potentially a slightly shorter hospital stay, but that's going to depend on the woman and the baby. We're not going to be throwing women out too early out of hospital. Well, Robin, that's probably all we have time for today, but I think this is really helpful information and advice for the GPs out there to be able to guide their pregnant patients uh, through their journey. Thank you so much, um, and we'll chat again soon. Thank you.